there are a few times in life when I've definitely missed out on what was happening around about me. My neighbours in South Queensferry were amazed the night I slept through their caravan going on fire and the fire brigade turning up. Thankfully, no one was injured, but it was a source of ribbing for many months afterwards. And just last week, a whole herd of cows escaped from a local farmer's yard and ended up outside the manse here about 10 o'clock at night. I was totally oblivious of the hunt that was going on and the rescue of the beasts until the next day when I walked down the road and saw the evidence of a bovine invasion. Of course, Thomas wasn't asleep in the corner of the room when Jesus appeared. Actually, we don't know where he was. Apart from Judas, all the other disciples appear to be gathered together in one room as evening falls. But Thomas's absence leads to a remarkable episode in John's Gospel, which acts as a bridge or invitation to each and every one of us. And we're going to take a moment now to reflect upon it, starting with what happened on that first Sunday evening. The disciples are locked away, but Jesus finds them and the very first thing he says to them is peace be with you. The Prince of Peace has secured victory over sin and death, suffering and evil, and has reconciled humanity to God, brought peace where there was none. So it's fitting that peace is the first word spoken. But I wonder on a more pragmatic note, if Jesus chooses these words in order to evoke a memory in the disciples, It was only a few days earlier in the upper room when Jesus spoke of gifting peace to these same group of followers. Is he using this language to reassure them now of who he is? That certainly chimes with what happens next as Jesus shows them his hands and his side. The scars of crucifixion become evidence that this man before them is the same Jesus who died on the cross, whom they had taken down and buried in the tomb. On hearing him speak and seeing his wounds, the transformation in the disciples is remarkable. They were overjoyed, a fulfilment of Jesus' promise that their sorrow would not last. They must have been so excited and full of conversation about what had happened. It immediately makes me feel sorry for Thomas. We've all been in situations where folks are talking about an event we weren't at and we feel left out because you had to be there. It's like when you've never seen an episode of Line of Duty and you've got no idea who H is or why that's even a thing, but your Facebook and Twitter feed are full of it. Thomas must have been thoroughly fed up in those days which followed Jesus appearing to the first group of disciples. And we can see his frustration pour out in his response to their testimony. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Stubborn, adamant, Thomas digs his heels in and down through the ages he's taken a lot of flack for that. But what else do we know about him? He's most fleshed out in John's Gospel and we hear him speak a few times before this incident When Jesus finally decides to go see Mary and Martha after Lazarus' death, Thomas declares that the rest of them should all go with him and die. Pessimistic, maybe. Deeply loyal, absolutely. When Jesus talks at the Last Supper of them knowing the way, Thomas is the one who blurts out, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Is he being obtuse? Well, that's one viewpoint. But I would prefer to think that Thomas wasn't afraid to say he needed help to understand what Jesus was hinting at. 
And I'm pretty sure that some of the other disciples were equally confused by Jesus's words, but were not quite so courageous to admit it. Thomas strikes me as honest, straightforward, committed. In the week when the others are full of Jesus being alive and Thomas is refusing to believe them, he chooses not to walk away. He stays. Maybe he's got nowhere else to go, but I admire his willingness to dwell in that place of confusion and uncertainty, frustration and exclusion. How many of us have found ourselves dwelling in that very place in this last year, wondering where God is, refusing to believe things will get better, losing hope, refusing the encouragement of others because we need something more, something real for us, something that shifts our hearts and minds, something that's not secondhand or a mere platitude. And how many of us, having found ourselves stuck, even when perhaps surrounded by friends and family, have chosen to hang on in there? It must have been such a long week for Thomas. But at the end of it, his prayers and his requests are answered. Technology and sport has come a long way over the years, from Hawkeye to VAR. Action replay is now possible, not simply for armchair critics, but also for match officials. The TMO, the third match official in rugby, is often called upon to determine if a try has been properly grounded or if a pass was forward. And in many ways, the technology allows the referee to step back in time, to see the events for the first time from a different angle, slowed down, to replay the phases and to make a determination for good or ill. As we move through John chapter 20, it's like we go back in time for an action replay. It's Sunday evening, again. The disciples are behind closed doors, again, but this time Thomas is with them. Jesus appears, again, and says, peace be with you, again. And then he gives Thomas the first-hand experience he's craving. It's no more than what the other disciples got, and we often forget that. They'd heard from Mary that Jesus was risen and had chosen not to believe her. Peter and John had seen the empty tomb and yet it wasn't until they all saw Jesus himself that they became overjoyed. That was the turning point for them believing that Jesus was alive. Thomas is asking for and is granted no more than the others got. And yet his response goes far beyond theirs. On seeing Jesus and being offered the evidence he asked for, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. Of all the confessions in John's Gospel, John the Baptist, the Samaritan village, Martha, this is the climax, the destination of the author. Someone finally expressing what John had said in the very beginning. The word was with God and the word was God. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. Thomas gets it. He may have missed out, but suddenly he catches up and goes further than everyone else. And that comes because he was willing to hold out for that confirmation, that evidence, that encounter with Jesus. In some ways, Thomas's experience and declaration then form this bridge to us, which Jesus hints at in what he says next. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. None of us, like Thomas, were in that locked room on the Easter Sunday evening. And some of us, like Thomas, may long for the kind of encounter the disciples had. 
Thomas got his request, his protest responded to pretty quickly. We, on the other hand, are called, as Paul puts it, to live by faith and not by sight. And perhaps Thomas's frustration resonates with us because it's really not easy to live by faith rather than sight. Peter writes in his letter, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How is it that we can love Jesus and believe in him when we've not had that first-hand, in-person experience? John concludes this episode by saying it's because of the testimony of those first eyewitnesses, Mary, Peter, John and Thomas. They reach out to us and tell us that Jesus is alive and we can have life in his name. As the theologian D.A. Carson puts it, the most unyielding sceptic, Thomas, has bequeathed us the most profound confession. Thomas reaches out to us to say it's true. Jesus is alive. I didn't believe it at first, but now I believe that not only is Jesus Lord, he's God. We cannot share Thomas's sight of Jesus, but because of his experience, his missing out and Jesus's grace and coming to meet him in his place of unbelief, we can come to share in his faith. Knowing that the same Jesus who caught him up looks to catch us up too. 